0: Hello Private Equity fans and welcome to the pod's Minority Report, in which our Unquote Precogs envision the future of non-controlling stakes. Is BrieGal's latest vehicle predestined to succeed? Is the fate of Inflections Fund written in wood? And which firms may fare better than others? We are literally private equity profits in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello listener, welcome to the pod. I'm Kenny Wastel and we're talking minority investment today. To shed more light on this growing trend, I'm joined in the studio by Unquote's news editor, Oscar Geen. Hi, Oscar. Welcome to the pod.
1: Hi, Kenny. Great to be back.
0: And we also have Head of Data and Research, Julian Longhurst, with us today. Hello, Jules. Hi there. Good to be back. So, Oscar, you've been speaking to a lot of people about this. And with minority investment, I understand the attraction to business owners, particularly family owners. They can take some equity off the table and retain a majority stake, retain control of their business. But what's in it for private equity?
1: Um, I'd say there are two main things that have been driving the sort of uptick in minority investments recently. Um, I mean, the first one is just capital deployment, right? One GP that I spoke to said that it's a way to access companies that aren't for sale. And obviously if you can access a whole universe of companies that are not available to your competitors, potentially at um, lower valuations, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, then that's a massive plus point. The other side of it is LPs that are actually pushing them into this strategy um, and have a demand for a different sort of minority investment.
0: Okay, but presumably this has an effect on the way that a GP is able to manage an investment. How, how does this affect the, the boardroom dynamic at portfolio companies?
1: A lot of the GPs I've spoken to have sort of emphasised the kind of uh, partnership model. I think Inflection uh, Inflexion Private Equity closed the Partnership Capital Fund to do minority investments. Um, so very much very much playing on, on that kind of partnership model of, of ownership. Um, I think the guy I spoke to, Inflection, described it as sort of offering a menu to entrepreneurs for the things that they could offer. Be that through lining up acquisitions or helping them out in the capital markets, uh, you know, investing in organic growth or rolling out new initiatives. Um, it was really something that they'd they'd look to do together. Um, obviously, some private equity firms in the past have used minority stakes in order to gain control, sort of through the back door, um, and so. Maybe a, a part of convincing the entrepreneur that really what you're going into a partnership is having a track record of having done minority investments before, maybe even a separate vehicle. Or, you know, some people go as far, obviously, they have a self-interest if they have a firm which is set up just to do minority investments, like Bragel Milestone, for example. But when I spoke to someone from there, they said, yeah, having a separate vehicle is not really enough. Uh, you need to really show that it's in the DNA of the firm to partner with firms and, and not look to take control from the founders at, really at any point.
2: At the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm probably quite old school in this, but I, I actually think that what we're talking about here is private equity Um, we're calling it a new strategy, a new niche, if you want, you know, going in and doing a lot more um, minority deals. I think what it's doing is is actually bringing it back to what private equity has always been, which is a people business. And I think at the end of the day, if the incoming investor, the, the GPs and the owners of the companies themselves, if there is an alignment of interest between the two, whether you have a majority position as a GP or a minority position, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. What the GP is trying to do is back passionate Um, passionate, committed entrepreneurs to grow their businesses to the next level or the level beyond that. And so the the actual boardroom dynamic in the ideal world, it shouldn't change.
1: And I suppose there's also the point that just because they have a minority stake, it doesn't mean that they don't have as much of a presence on on the board. They're often able to exert a lot of control, even from a minority position. And uh, as we said, different funds have sort of different approaches maybe being a minority-only investor allows them to get access to those businesses.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, a lot of it's to do with how well these things are communicated, how well the relationship builds from the early days, from initial contact to when they actually start talking about doing a deal to when they actually transact. If, if the communication is thorough and good and clear and transparent and, and interests are aligned, I don't think it makes any difference whether you have a, a majority or minority.
0: Okay, so I mean, we've mentioned a few, uh, we mentioned a few GPs there uh, who are in this space, and certainly minority investing. From a private equity point of view is not something that's completely new. But, I mean, the firms in the UK, which is the region that, that I focus on, certainly LDC uh, and more recently that, than that, BGF. Both of them have been in this game for, for a long time. Perhaps what is most notable is the increase in volume. I wonder if that is partly, Oscar, a, a result of the number of new entrants. Is there an element of this being a way that new entrants are able to carve out niche strategies for themselves.
1: There's possibly an element of that. I mean, we discussed Bregal Milestone already, which has been set up, obviously, with some money from Bregal Investments, um, just as a new firm, just to target minority investment. For the most part, though, that hasn't really been the story on the fundraising side. It's more kind of well-established firms that perhaps raise a minority fund as an addition to the sort of flagship buyout strategy. Um, we, we talked about inflection there's kind of IK investment partners as well although that is a which slight, is a very different yeah it's it is, very different exactly yes it's a slightly different model whereas these are sort of more growth focused earlier stage minority buyouts IK is looking to respond to an LP demand for kind of minority investment in a later stage business so you think about the company we work for Accurus where GIC owns a minority stake which uh, they've said they have every intention of holding on to for a long period of time. Uh, LPs with a similar sort of return profile as GIC have obviously expressed a a demand for this sort of investment, and IK has come up with this fund offering to meet it. So there's a bit of a push and pull factor there, I'd say.
0: Okay. What would be interesting, I think, uh, I'd be keen to hear your takes on this, Jules, is when it comes to the exit Strategy, the GP presumably doesn't have as much weight in determining the, the timing of that.
2: No, again, a bit I'll, I'll bring you back to the to the point I made earlier on about about communication right up front, right from the beginning, from the first day you meet the entrepreneur or, or the business that you want to invest in uh, right through the transaction phase and then the post-transaction phase when you're working with them, doing doing your your private equity thing, helping them with procurement and um, capital markets and access to banks and all that kind of stuff. The exit plan should be pretty clear right up front and I think in most cases they have a number of different scenarios where, where they, they will be looking at it. Um, and as long as it doesn't come as a surprise to the entrepreneur it should normally work. But I mean, I I have done in, when when I've not been at Unquid, I have done a couple of projects doing referencing for a consultancy consultancy firm. And that clearly, that whole, um, the communication had clearly broken down in a couple of cases that that I, where I interviewed the CEOs of, of portfolio companies. And their main problem was that the exit came, the exit plan seemed to come as a surprise to them when it shouldn't have done really.
0: Thank you both. We, we'll uh, continue the discussion shortly, but first, Oscar spoke to Hulan Loki's Johnny Colville about minority investment, and we'll be back with that discussion after this.
1: Hello, listeners. I'm here at Hulan Loki's European headquarters with managing director in the financial sponsors group, Johnny Colville. Hi, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So we're here today to talk about minority investing, uh, which we've noticed unquotes increased increases the percentage of overall P-backed buyout deal flow, and more and more GPs are raising minority strategies. Uh, now, Johnny, first off, does this sort of match with your perception, and uh, what do you think is driving it?
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, clearly there's a well-documented pursuit of yield in a low-return market environment from institutional investors. And, and what we're seeing is significant appetite from LPs to back successful managers across multiple different strategies many billions of dollars have been raised, not least because this gives GPs access to a wider universe of investment opportunities. Traditional LBOs have have grown from a cottage industry in the 80s to a a highly mature, highly competitive and well-banked sector. You've got lots of funds chasing the same assets with the result that prices are bid up to all-time highs, at least certainly in in Q4 of last year. There are fewer GPs with a minority strategy and and therefore competition for assets is, is less crowded. And the direct corollary of that uh, less competition is, is the opportunity to acquire businesses at better value slash lower multiples.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, and what are the sort of typical characteristics of the kind of companies that might sell a minority state to a PE firm? I mean, do you normally know right at the start of the process that it's going to be a minority investment that's more appropriate? Typically, at the start of a process, you have a view whether there'll be a majority
3: deal on the table or a minority deal or a, or a capital raise. Uh, This can change during the course of a process, uh, depending on on a number of different parameters, including whether the reserve price is met. Quite often you'll see a a founder or an owner, which which is often where minority deals are struck, unwilling to give up control. They want to be in control of their destiny. They want to be in control of their budget and they want to choose the moment of exit. And if they're strong believers in future growth, that implies that they're both a buyer and a seller. What they need is capital and they need assistance and support. And that's very much what private equity can, can give to a, a typical founder owner who's who's grown up with a business, whose often name is above the front door, etc.
1: And can you give us an example of one of those perhaps that you've worked on recently or one that you've seen in the market that fits that sort of profile?
3: Yeah, we, we sold a business uh, in the middle of last year called Tails.com, which is the, the leading online direct-to-consumer premium personalized pet food business that's backed by a number of people, including the founders, some of the uh, innocent founders through their investment vehicle Jamjar and Octopus Ventures. The business was growing very fast and we were mandated to go to market and to raise capital to enable the business to to expand. During our part of those conversations, we were approached by Nestle, who was a large multinational company who put an offer to buy 100% of the company. Now, that wasn't the intention when we went out at the start of the process. And we had a number of conversations as to whether that was the right thing for the business and the right thing for the various shareholders and ultimately we concluded that actually selling 100% of the business was the right thing for the for, for Tails and to enable it to grow further so that is an example of where we started off with a minority deal with a capital raise and it turned into a majority deal
1: uh, and this is obviously possible for someone like Nestle to you know very flexible in, in- what they can do. Do GPs that have a specific minority strategy maybe have a bit of an advantage in the sales process? I mean, what's the difference between just having a specific minorities fund or having a firm that's set up specifically to do minorities and how does it affect their their chances in the auction?
3: Well, good question. I think it gives them flexibility and there's a perception around threat as well. In certain countries, take Germany for example, Der Spiegel famously referred to uh, private equity as locusts um, and that that region is arguably less predisposed to thinking that the, the private equity is a force for good. Um, asset strippers, vultures, the closed factories, they make people redundant, etc, etc, which we know is not true. What you do have is uh, if you have a dedicated minority fund, then you have the ability to offer alternatives to to a, a founder and an owner. And it's, it's, if you rewind, what is private equity all about? It's about making managers' owners. You have that uh, in spades when you are a, a founder owner who already owns a majority and is slowing down to minority. You enable firms to do things that they couldn't do for themselves through the network, through the experience, through the, the track record of having done it before. For instance, internationalising a business, taking it into new jurisdictions or uh, improving the, the reporting systems, improving the supply chain, improving procurement, etc., etc., Um, And you use a bit of leverage to turbocharge returns. I think what I would say is that when you think about uh, leveraging minority deals, it's typically less for a bunch of different reasons. One, the entry multiple tends to be lower than for a control deal. Two, the founder, entrepreneur, majority shareholder is typically uh, less uh, well-versed. I don't want to use the word sophisticated, but debt is viewed as potentially a negative because you could end up losing the business. And three, because you can um, uh, grow the business through equity capital rather than debt capital. So I wouldn't say it's an advantage, uh, but certainly gives flexibility to anyone entering a process where potentially the founder owner doesn't quite know what they want.
1: Great. Uh, And speaking of processes, this is something I want to get your take on, a bit of an independent voice. because I've spoken to Inflection that has the Partnership Capital Fund. And they say it's really important to have a separate fund for minority investments also Bregal Milestone, which only does minorities across the whole GP. Um, so so what do you think? How much of an edge does it give you in a process to have it as a separate strategy or to have it as the only strategy that the firm pursues? It depends on the
3: house. Um, and I think inflection is a very good example where there is cross-pollination between the funds, where there is uh, shared expertise. It, it depends on what the founder wants. Uh, if, if they are looking for uh, capital with, with the governance that comes with a majority deal, then that is a separate negotiation. By having a dedicated minorities-only fund, that is effectively what inflection has. Um, I don't view it as a conflict. I know that inflection don't view it as a conflict. In fact, I think it's an advantage because it gives them flexibility to steer the transaction as to where the right bucket of capital is within the firm.
1: That's really interesting. Thanks very much for your time, Johnny. I'll speak to you soon.
0: Some really great insight there from Johnny. Something that's perhaps a bit of a sore subject for private equity practitioners is this outsider's view of the asset class as locusts. How much of an effect does Europe's many, many different cultural nuances have on the prevalence of this minority investing in any given market?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to hear Johnny bring up that cultural phenomenon and the sort of well known and uh, oft cited a locusts reference in the in-dash beagle um i think it, it's definitely a factor but it, it's it's a sort of perception that's been around for a long time and i think perhaps the reason why dac buyout funds or dac gps haven't really developed separate minority strategies is because they've actually been developing tools to access these companies with slightly more reluctant owners for a long time i mean most of the sort of uh, buyout fund or the, the DAC GPs that have buyout funds looking solely at that region will have the ability to do minorities and other kind of preferred equity or that they'll have flexibility to structure the deal in different ways to access these companies anyway.
2: Yeah, the, the, um, actually I'm just remembering the, the Stiele beteiligung model, you know, the silent partnership which is basically chucking in a bit of money, but not doing pretty much nothing uh, to influence the direction of the business.
1: It's and also, we covered a lot. Even just doing a, a majority buyout, which is less than 66%, is uh, a meaningful milestone in the shareholder structure in a German company right. as well. Okay.
2: Um, yeah, also, I mean, just mo- moving um, moving west uh, from, from Germany, the French market has, has also. Um, It's also quite unique in in Europe and the the French market has evolved um, a very common kind of hybrid minority buyout model, which I think we've been seeing probably for the last 15 years. But it's it's kind of gathered in pace to the point where it it actually forms, I would say, maybe even more than 50 percent of what we consider to be leveraged buyouts every year. So these are where we have situations where entrepreneurs are selling a, a minority portion of their business, to an incoming private equity investor with a with a a token amount of leverage normally one and a half times, two times. Um, And, uh, you know, these are these are kind of classic buyout structures. They're new codes, they're leveraged, but they're very lightly leveraged and the entrepreneur remains in control of the business.
0: Okay, and that that factor of leverage, as Johnny pointed out, um, I mean, what what exact effect does that have on a, on a business owner? Is that does that help lure, lure a potential sale? Does it,
2: I, th- I think, as Johnny uh, Johnny alluded to in, in his piece, it's it's about comfort levels. Um, quite often, you're talking about um, individuals who've built a company up from scratch. They've inherited it maybe from a parent or a relative. These they are responsible for the two, three, four hundred staff that are there. It's it's a kind of um, it's it's a, a feeling that they have to protect it. And then by by introducing by allowing someone to introduce high levels of leverage. That that was it's it's naturally going to put them off. So I think these very lighter leverage things, which, as Johnny said, acts as a little boost to the the returns for the for the incoming PE investor, um, are much more palatable for for the entrepreneur that owns the business.
1: Um, yeah, just just something I wanted to pick up on as well. Um, so some of the GPs I spoke to, um, especially uh, David Weilman from uh, Inflexion, was making the point that he thought minority investing was not correlated with the economic cycles in the same way as majority buyout investing. Um, And the reason for this is if you own a business and you're coming to market now, you want to sell it for the best possible price. After we have any sort of potential downturn, and then we're on the recovery kind of coming out of that, uh, people will be looking for liquidity, but they know that it's not the best time to get the best price for their business. So perhaps they'd be more willing to look at minority stakes then. Um, So from that perspective, maybe GPs raising minority funds now is preparing for what's to come and and making sure they're really going to have a way to deploy capital throughout the cycle. I'm not sure.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you both. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. All that really remains is for me to urge you to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify and iTunes or to continue listening on the Unquote website at Unquote.com. Before we go, though, my uh, thanks go to both of our panelists, to Hulihan Loki's Johnny Colville, to producer Tim, and to you, listener. Speak to you soon.